Okay, well, uh, so glad to be here. My name is Mike, and I'm uh, arts director here at the church. And uh, it's great to be down here with you guys. I don't get down here very often. Uh, it's interesting, I was watching this video, and uh, it kind of, I was a little confused by it, quite honestly. It, it didn't completely work for me. And the reason I, I realized, uh, first of all, they, so if you don't know me, I'm pretty big into music. I love music. And um, so they had no music gear guy represented in that thing. So it was kind of hard for me to relate, first of all. And then the second thing that was kind of tough is, I mean, clearly throughout, you know, history and every, every presentation artistically of God, we, are, we know clearly that he had a full beard and not a goatee. And so I kind of lost the whole thing. It just, I don't know, it just didn't, didn't resonate with me. Well, seriously, needless to say, it's, it's a pretty provocative presentation on our view of the limited resources we have and how we use it, isn't it? You know, uh, maybe you've never thought about it like that before. We love to feed all the things in our life, and often we leave our spiritual portion empty, and we don't give God, we don't feed him or give him back what he's given us, God's pie. He brought, is that the worst German accent? Dude, he brought the pie. <laughs> I mean, do you ever hear Christian, does Christian talk like that? I've never heard him say anything like that, so that's the worst. Anyway, <laughs> dude, he brought the pie. Uh, anyway, <laughs> today, more than any other time in recent history, I think when we, it, it's uh, finances and resources, when we talk about it, it's much more difficult uh, topic of discussion, aren't they? You know, the wells seem to be drying up. The pockets don't go quite so deep as they used to. And our resources are certainly becoming more finite than they have been in the past. And uh, if, you, if you were here last week, you heard Dave talk. And um, he shared uh, with you about being generous and having a generous heart. And, and the belief that what we have is a blessing from God and we're stewards to give back. And uh, about being faithful and giving back what we've received. Um, it's, it's interesting. Today, again, I just got to tell you up front, we're, we're going to be talking about money again, but um, we're going to be talking about it from a, a very different perspective. He, he talked last week about, um, you know, well, I just told you what we talked about last week. This week, what we're going to be looking at is um, let, getting, getting rid of money's hold on us. Last week, it was letting go of money, and this week is getting rid of the hold it has on us. It's, it's, I hope you're here for the opening song. Um, but, but you know, it's interesting. Um, we talked, it, it, getting rid of, of money's hold on us is really in a word. Let's just start here. If it's really in a word, it's contentment, right? Because if we were completely content, we wouldn't need money, right? If we had everything we needed, if we really believed that, we wouldn't need anything. I was looking on the internet, and I found some quotes that I thought were pretty cool about contentment. One was... Uh, there's no end to craving. Hence, contentment alone is the best way to happiness. Therefore, acquire contentment. Because otherwise, you'll never be content. Second thing, another one is, uh, it's better to want what you have than to have what you want. You just have to think about that one for a minute, but you'll get it. Then the third one, do not spoil what you have by desiring what you have not. You ever realize that, that we do this? When we, we have lots of stuff, but when we want something else, we tend to forget about this stuff because this stuff's more important and we ruin what we have by desiring what we don't have. Again, the opening song, 
pretty cool song. They did a great job with it. But the lyrics are so poignant, and they dive right headlong into this topic of contentment. And he says, I'm just going to quote a few lines. Success is equated with excess. The ambition for excess wrecks us. I think he says Lexus also at some point in the song, which is a clever rhyme. Uh, As the top of the mind becomes the bottom line, and when success is equated with excess, then he goes on to say, this is my American dream. I want to die for bigger things. That's it, the American dream. You know, I started started thinking about this as I prepared for this message today, the American dream, and it was kind of an interesting mental journey for me and uh, just what, what what the American dream really was, what it represented. And, and uh, so I looked on Wikipedia, right, because that's where you find everything you don't know. And it says this, The American dream is a national ethos of the United States of America in which democratic ideals are perceived as a promise of prosperity for its people. In the American dream, first expressed by James Truslow Adams in 1931, citizens, this is kind of the key, citizens of every rank feel that they can achieve a better, richer, and happier life. It represented freedom. That's why people immigrated here, Right? They came here to pursue freedom and get out from under the oppressive rule of, of uh, the king in England or, or from wherever they came. People came from all over the world. You know, so originally they came because they were pursuing religious freedom, but um, I, I started thinking about this a little bit more, and I remembered, do you guys remember the great, uh, great Oklahoma land rush of 1893? Do you guys remember that? You were there. Wow, you look great. Yeah. 1893. Wow. <laughs> do, uh, but do, if you remember that, like, uh, I think it was in a movie far and away with Tom Cruise, right? And what happened in this movie at precisely 12 noon, the cannon blast released the people on bicycles and carriages and, and horses and on foot and um, whatever else they had as available transportation. They, they, they estimate about 100,000 people went to claim land in the Oklahoma Territory, because they were giving it away. And what did that represent? It represented to those people an opportunity for freedom. And, and the tricky thing that has happened since 1893 and even before that with the American dream is that it's shifted along the way to a mentality that says success is equated with excess. You know, the new American dream is bigger, better, faster, more, Right? And, and I think the new American dream is actually synonymous with discontent. There's always more I can have. And quite frankly, our commercials, you know, remember the old Michelob beer commercial that says, who says you can't have it all? all right, who says you need it all? That would be my question to that. Where would you put it, right? Uh, and seriously, though, when is enough enough? Do you know that in this room, right here, all of us in this room, if it were just, let's just say we're all average. Our finances are on the American average. It's $46,000 per household per year, okay? If we're just all average, what you need to know is this. All of us in this room, then, are in the top 1.43% of the wealthiest people in the world. Don't believe me? globalrichlist.com. You go in, type in your income, it'll tell you exactly how you rank in the world. My guess is many of us are in the top, even smaller percentages of the wealthiest people in the world. 
Yet in spite of our wealth, we have more unhappiness, dissatisfaction, relational strife, rivalry, criminal activity, greed. It just doesn't go away because we have all kinds of stuff. Do you know, I, I did a little research. Do you know, 43% of Americans, 43%, almost half of us, spend more money than we make, yet we're the top 1% of the money earners in the world. Average household debt, not credit debt, not including mortgages, is $18,000. The wealthiest people in the world are the most indebted in the world. I'm not here to cast judgment on people if you have credit debt. It's not my point. You know, it's really interesting. I was reading another thing that, you know, you have to ask, when is enough enough? I, I, uh, there was this, um, there's a book called The Invisible War. It's written by Chip Ingram, and he has a chapter on there. Uh, and he talks about uh, some statistics from, from the Christian perspective, and he says 4%, and that might, may actually even be a high percentage, 4% of those who call themselves followers of Jesus, 4% of the people who claim to be evangelical Christians are committed to tithing. It means 96% of us don't value that principle or aren't able to accomplish it somehow. And then he went on to say this, do you realize that those people who call themselves followers of Christ are more committed to tipping their waiters and waitresses than they are to tithing? Yeah, and I know there's some differences in the thing, so I'm not right. The point is, when would you consider going getting a nice restaurant and leaving a buck? You know, 100 bucks, you drop a dollar on there, eh, that's good enough. Success is equated with excess. You know, are you living the dream? And maybe a better question is, do you even want this dream? I had to ask myself this question a few years ago. I was, uh, again, i really pretty involved in music. I love music, and uh, I uh, run a studio. I ran a studio in Michigan, and uh, somehow some guy got got a hold of my name. He was in Jamaica. Maybe that's already, I think it was already here, actually, maybe. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, he was in Jamaica, and he was uh, doing, for Salvation Army, they, they did a music camp for, the, for Caribbean island uh, people, and poor people, not like, you know, real wealthy people. Most of, if not every one of the people were on scholarships, and scholarships means they just found money and they donated it to people so that they could come because they had some musical talent. And uh, a large population of the people uh, were from Haiti, and Jamaica, and obviously, and we know, obviously, we learned recently that Haiti is the most impoverished uh, country in the Western Hemisphere. If you've been watching the news lately, you've learned that. Jamaica's not far from that, other than the Sandals Resorts and some of these big places where people go for vacations. The rest of the country's in pretty bad shape. I had the chance to kind of cruise around with some, cha- uh, you know, chaperoning, because it wasn't all safe where we were, and I, it was definitely not at a resort. <laughs> I ate some stuff I probably shouldn't have, but... Um, <laughs> Something with goat was in it, like goat head or something. It was not good. But I, anyway, um, so what I did is I went down there and we did this installation of a studio. And what these guys were doing, the studio gear was donated so that they could uh, put a studio in and record these guys at this music camp and make a CD and sell the CD and generate income so they could, this could be an ongoing thing. And so they asked me to come down and do it. And I was like, yeah, great. It's great. I didn't really have, honestly, I'd love to be real spiritual here. I didn't really have much spiritual intent in it. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I'll go help. It'd be nice. And I went down. We got the stuff all working. I trained this guy, and he was going to record the first session. I decided I'd go, and he's setting things up. I'm watching to see how things are going. And it was the most amazing experience for me. 
in both a good and bad way. Here's what happened. It was almost uh, spontaneously this group of islanders from impoverished places in the world broke into this spontaneous worship such that I'd never experienced before, nor have I experienced since. And I'm standing in the very back of the room with the guy that I was training on this thing, and I just kind of lost track of him. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and in my heart, this horrible admission I'm going to give you, in my heart I'm going, I just do not get this. This is the most glorious worship I've ever experienced. What do you have to be thankful for? And then I immediately felt convicted, okay, because I'm the top 1.43%, right? I don't worship like that. This is because contentment, which is what we're going to be talking about today, is never found in position or possessions. Contentment is always a condition of the heart. It's not found in positions such as your rank or your social status, your job title, your physical appearance. Or your, pos- or, or, or your possessions, your house, your cars, your cash, your global rich list ranking. It's not where contentment is found. And as long as we keep chasing after contentment in those ways, good luck. You'll never find it. It doesn't end. See, I believe discontent occurs when we trade godliness or God-centeredness for materialism. Materialism is the belief that things will make me happy, or at least that things will make me happier than God can make me. I need stuff. If I got stuff, if I just have, how many times, and you know what, I'm, so raise my hand because I'm going to answer this yes. I, I've thought, how many times have you thought, if I just had, anyone, uh, anyone thought that? Yeah. If you didn't, I'd like to stop. Let's pray for you. Raise your hand if you didn't raise your hand. Seriously, we all struggle with this, and I want to admit something to you. I struggle with this, and this is a daily event that we have to come to grips with. Contentment is never going to be found in our possessions or our position. It's only going to be found in our heart. You know, uh, there, there's, it, the good thing is this. The Bible has lots to say about this. And I, what I want to do is I'm going to look, I'm going to kind of hunker down in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to look at a, a passage in there. But before I do that, I'd just love to share with you a little background. I always find like the background to be really helpful in terms of looking at passages of the Bible. 1 Timothy is really interesting because Paul, who's the seasoned veteran of, of the faith, uh, wrote most of the New Testament, and uh, he's talking to Timothy, who's this young leader in a church uh, in Ephesus, and he's kind of giving him instruction. It was written about you know, 62 or 63 A.D., right about a year before Rome was burned, and they blamed the Christians, right? And then, then in 64 A.D., Christianity became illegal, right? So you can understand it wasn't kind of like just calling yourself a believer. If you were in, you were in, because there were stakes, right? It was a big deal. And so he's, he's writing this letter to Timothy to give instruction on how to lead this, this church. And he goes through the, you know, the tick list of, you know, make sure your, your prayer and your public worship is good. And your, let me talk about your leadership qualifications for people. And let's talk about how, how to use your spiritual gifts and, and all these things. And uh, a key point to this whole background is this. That it's possible that Paul was in prison when writing this, but definite that he'd been imprisoned 
a few times as a result of his Christianity as he's writing this. And I think it's important because we need to understand the perspective he's coming from. Again, this wasn't just some flippant deal. Oh, yeah, make sure your leaders uh, are, are tall and handsome like Dave Nelson. And, you know, he, he, he's, what he's saying is the stakes are high. This is important stuff, okay? So I'm going to read 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, and then verses 17 through 19. This is from the New International Version. If you have your Bibles, you can pull it out and follow along, or you can watch the screens too. It says this. But godliness, or God-centeredness, with contentment, is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world, incidentally, that's you, 1.43%. Command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Yeah, really? but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for enjoyment. Command them, 1.43%, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Be content so you can take hold of the real life. What I want to do is I want to go back through this little section of 1 Timothy. And I believe that there are four keys that we can extrapolate from this passage to kind of understand four keys to being content as God sees it. And if this is something you want to join me in struggling through, I'd encourage you to write these down and kind of revisit them from time to time. And it goes like this. The first thing is this. Avoid the money pit. Now, you've probably seen the movie with Tom Hanks or whatever. I'm not talking about a house. (laughs) Avoid the money pit. And what I mean by that is this. If we look at verse uh, 9 and 10 of this passage, he says this. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. People pursuing wealth as their motivation tend to fall into some stuff that take them down a bad path. Because if that's your ultimate goal, you're willing to put that at the top of your list, other things become subservient to your desire to be rich. Love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. He's not saying money is wrong. Money is just money. Money is not good or bad. It's just what it is. It's money. It's not even bad to have money. Loving money is wrong when it's taking the place of God in your heart. Some people eager for money, again, have wandered from the path. Here's the question. They've wandered from the path of following Jesus. Here's a question for you. Is your money or your desire for money, is it taking you to a place that's leading you away from 
your spiritual desire to serve God. Because in the very second that money makes you do something that conflicts with your spiritual values, it's wrong. Period. And it has pierced or, and, have, and pierced themselves with many griefs. How many of you could think of times when you've taken money and you feel like the decision you've made with your money has pierced you? See, if your money is not, this is, what, what, is, what did we talk about last week? God blesses us. Money is a blessing. If it feels like you're being stabbed with a sword by your money, guess what? There's probably something wrong. And there's a good chance that you have not avoided the money pit. It brings grief. If your money's bringing grief, red flag. And I got to tell you that not all desires are wrong, too. The, 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 let's just start with that for a second, because, you know, I can think of so many. Uh, Bill, Bill Hybels is a pastor of a church in Chicago, a large church in Chicago, and uh, he wrote this book called Holy Discontent. And his, the premise of the book is that God uses discontent in our lives when it's rightfully motivated to create positive change. And I think of, you know, Martin Luther, the father of the pro- Protestant faith, who was, had discontent over the way the church, the Catholic church was doing things at that time. And he put his, posted his stuff on the Wittenberg door and said, no, this is, this is what it is. I think Martin Luther King, who, who uh, uh, you know, was dissatisfied and discontent with, with the social treatment of the African-American community. I think of our founding fathers who believed that freedom was the way to do it at a cost. They were going to fight against England for the freedom that they felt was right for mankind. But here's a key to understanding this. You want to know if, you're mo- it, it, you want to know if your desires are right or wrong? Pretty simple, okay? Check your motivation. Is this your desire or is this God's desire? And I'm not going to give you a little magic formula because here's the deal. When you check your motivation, listen closely, you know if it's right or wrong. You just do. We all do. If you don't take time to check it, you, know, you probably just carry on. But if you seriously get down to the heart and soul, what's motivating this? Is this for me? Is this for others? Is this for God? You're going to have a really good gauge on whether you're being wholly discontent or just discontent. Secondly, I, it just, it's a great story. How many guys know who Clarence, uh, Clarence Fountain is? Anyone? No one? How many guys know who Sam Cooke is? Musician Sam Cooke? A lot of you wrote like tons of, you know, Chain Gang, Rockin' the Night Away, Wonderful, Wonderful World, stuff like that. I can't even tell you how many chart-topping hits he had. Well, he and Clarence Fountain, Clarence Fountain was born in like 1929, and they were both in the uh, black gospel music scene at the same time on the same record label. And uh, what happened in that time is uh, this guy comes in. For, he, wanted him to, he, he came and he offered Sam Cooke a deal to go do rock and roll. Well, rock and roll, this is like the 40s or whatever. Rock and roll was starting to take off, right? He offered Sam Cooke. Sam took, Cooke took the deal and had great uh, commercial success. And he came to Clarence Fountain. Clarence Fountain was in the studio with him at the same time. And the guy turned to him and he offered him the same deal. And Clarence Fountain, this is his response. It's just a great. I want to talk about avoiding the money pit? Check this out. I knew rock and roll was making more money than gospel in those days, but I never thought about going. It never even entered my mind. 
When the man offered me the contract, I told him point blank, no, no, and I mean no. See, he goes on to say, this is an article I read just this week. See, I'm not tempted by too many things because if I get tired, tied up in worldly things, it's hard to be involved in heavenly things. See, he didn't want to chase after the money because he knew in his heart once he started chasing after the money, his motivation was going to change and it would change him as a person. He couldn't be contented. He turned away from it. Well, just so you know, because of his commitment to doing the right thing, uh, Clarence Fountain is the lead singer of Blind Boys of Alabama. They're still doing records now. Still doing gospel music. Still loving God with all their hearts. Probably more popular now than they ever were. First thing is to avoid the money pit. The second thing I want to talk about is acquiring an eternal perspective. Let's look at verse uh, seven, uh, 6 and 7. He says this, But godliness, or God-centeredness, the Greek word there, godliness, means God being in the center of your life. Godliness with contentment, which is satisfa- satisfaction with what you have, is great gain. We brought nothing into the world and take nothing out of this world. Okay, so, eternal perspective. Guess what you get to take to heaven with you? Tricky question. Apparently, nothing is the answer to that. Okay, nothing, all right? And so what he's saying here is, you should acquire stuff that's going to matter in heaven because you're here for a short period of time and you go to heaven for eternity. And you're a whole lot better off enjoying, you know, getting to heaven with all the stuff you want there, which is not going to be material things. So stockpile that. This means that we, that we orient our ways of living around God. And I've got to tell you, this God-centeredness, specifically in this term, is talking about things like being generous and tithing. Verse 19, 18 and 19, he goes on and he says this, in this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they can again take hold of life that is truly life. God placed us here on this earth to be a blessing to others. And when we have an eternal mindset, we can understand our earthly purpose, right? Right? Because if we're just here trying to please ourselves all the time, we're of no good to anyone but ourselves. And actually, often, we're harmful to others. He stewarded us with resources and expects us to use those for the good of others, knowing that the eternal blessings he offers far exceed the temporal earthly stuff. I've got to tell you another quick thing that, about this uh, Clarence Fountain. What, what he says is, so uh, Clarence Fountain was not born blind. At two years old, back in the day, they used all kinds of stuff to clean things and fix things, and they washed his eyes out with some bad stuff, and he went blind. He says this. It's pretty cool. He says, when I was about two years old down the country in those days, we used all kinds of remedies, and they washed my eyes out with the wrong stuff. That was the end of me. Check out this. Check, check, check this out. Eternal perspective. But when God takes one thing away, he'll give you something better. So he gave me a voice to sing. You see, this eternal perspective comes back to an issue of trust. Do we really trust that God can make me happier than my own finances, which I believe I earned on my own? Do we? The third thing I want to talk about, so avoid the money pit, acquire an eternal perspective. 
The third thing is understand what need really is. God will supply your needs. How many of you, uh, how many of you guys uh, need some McDonald's today? Huh? How many of you guys need another pair of shoes? Right? You see, I, so when I was uh, doing my undergrad stuff, one of the things, I, uh, psychology was uh, part of my study. And uh, Abraham Maslow was one of these leaders, pioneers in psych- psychology. And one of his deals was Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And we, I think we have this up here. You can throw it up. Basically, he divides need into five different categories. My favorite on the first one. And basically, before you even, before you even start diving in to understand what all those things are, it's a pyramid and it starts and it builds. Okay, right? You don't start building at the top of the pyramid. You start from the bottom. He says, first, you need your physiological needs. You need food. You need air. You need water. Apparently, you need to poop, too, because that's in there. And so, so you need those kind without, if you don't do those things, you will die, okay? You'll die, flat out. No food, no water, no air, you die. Then he says you need safety stuff, right? Like if, if you're getting, if your body's being injured and that kind of stuff. And then the next thing that happens is you, you find love and belonging, which is where you have intimacy with people and friendship and you, you feel. And then, then from there, it gets kind of interesting. It gets a little more hard to define, you know, then you get self-esteem. Well, how do you get your self-esteem? There's a lot of ways. And then morality and creativity, and you become self-actualized, okay? This is his hierarchy of need. The thing is that the bottom three, which are really primary needs, we will all survive with. The other stuff, and, and you'll notice this, where, which, which level does it talk about money? House? Car? Yeah, it doesn't, right? Because those aren't needs, they're just not needs. And, and I think that one of the problems that we have here in America, at least, that's my perspective because I live here, maybe other parts of the world as well. The problem that we have here in America is that we try and build our pyramid from the top down too often. We try and have self-esteem by having a car. But if you don't meet your primary needs, your spiritual needs first, you will never be satisfied or contented with what you have because, as we heard early, the quote, there is no end to craving. And if we're feeding our craving, good luck. Heard a funny story this week. It's about this woman. She bought a bird and, at the pet store, and she took it home as a parrot. So she took it home and she came back to the pet store the next day, and she said, my bird doesn't talk. And he said, oh, all right. Here's what you should do. Uh, here, buy, buy a mirror. Buy a mirror, Okay put a mirror in the cage and it can interact with itself and understand who it is. And so she does. She buys a mirror. She goes home. She puts it in. Comes back the next day. My bird still doesn't talk. So okay. But, uh, you know what it probably needs is a ladder. Put a ladder in there and it can, it can feel like it's climbing and moving and you know it's got, it's mobile. She does. She goes home. Puts it in there. Comes back the next day. Bird still doesn't talk. Hmm. Uh, you know what it probably needs? It probably needs a swing. So, all right. She buys a swing. She puts it in there. Hopefully the bird will feel like it's getting entertained and exercised and whatever. Comes back the next day, she said, my bird died. It's really, your bird died? Yeah, I never talked. Your bird never talked? Nope. Never said anything. Well, it said one thing. What was that? The bird said, did they sell any food at that pet store? <laughs> funny, right? Here's the point. See, it's funny, except we live like that. We don't fulfill the needs, and I believe that the key here is spiritual. 
See, if you can't come to a place of contentment and you're pursuing contentment through things, you will never achieve it. You will die. You'll have the mirror, which, how do you look? You can have the ladder as you climb. You can have all the entertainment and excitement in your life with the swing. But if you're not meeting your primary needs, it doesn't work. The other thing I think is important to understand about need is this, that God flat out promises to provide your needs. Philippians chapter 4, again, Paul writing, who wrote the book to Timothy, and some really interesting perspective. On this one, we know he was in jail when he wrote this book. And he's writing to encourage other people who are pursuing the faith and the God-centered living that he's encouraging them to live. And he says this, and it's real simple, 419. My God will meet, how many? Oh, it's not up here. My God will meet all of your needs. Again, if we have a correct understanding on what need is, and we have trust that God will meet our needs, we're probably going to be a lot more content. See, this is an issue of trust. Do you trust God? Or do you trust your wallet? That's my phone. Your wallet. The fourth thing is this. That you need to place your hope in God. Chapter 6, verse 17 says this. Again, command those who are rich in this present world. Again, 1.43. He's talking to us. Those who are rich in this present world. And since he commands us, I command you. Because I have the microphone. Now, interesting point. It's not wrong again. Money's not wrong. He's actually acknowledging that people have money and people are wealthy. All right? He gets it. It's not wrong. But he says, for those of you who are rich in this present world, don't be arrogant. You see here, get back, back to this point again. Money's not wrong. What it does to you or what you do with it can be wrong. If money's making you arrogant, if money is keeping you or changing your attitude towards others, if money is changing your, your accountability to God, yeah, I don't need God, I got money. As soon as money changes the way you think, there is a problem. I command those in this rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. The new American dream. Bigger, better, faster, more. Which is so uncertain. Our current economy would bear testimony to that. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything, everything for our enjoyment. God gives it all to us. Money is a blessing. Steward it well, he's saying. Then he says, uh, I'm going to just jump ship here. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Now that's, that's the passage where he, uh, the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the meek and blessed are the, the poor and all that kind of thing. And he gets to verse 6. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
again, I want to come back to this point. If your hope is in eternal mater- or non-eternal material things, you won't be filled. You never will be. But if you hope for righteousness, it's something that you can attain and God will give to you liberally. You know, I hate this joke. I got to tell you, you know, this is, I, I hate this joke, but it's, it's so accurate. You know, how many guitars, do, I tell us all the time, how many guitars does a guitar player need? One more. <laughs> right? But again, the point is this. When put your hope in God, not he, get your mind, get the eternal mindset. Put your hope in him who can actually give you something that will make you content. Um, we're getting ready to close out here, and I just, what I want to do is, uh, Chris, some of you guys might know Chris Harding. Uh, he goes here, great, great guy, plays in the band sometimes uh, at North, and uh, does sound as well. And uh, he just, he's just had a really, really interesting run this last year. And uh, we asked if he would share a little bit of his story. We were able to capture it on video. And I'd love to just check this out as we get move towards the end of the time here. Me too for, gosh, I think it's almost like five years now. Uh, we moved uh, back here. I've been in and out of Salt Lake uh, a lot in my life. And found this to be our home uh, more and more. And... I'd been in the entertainment industry in Los Angeles and uh, in music and film and, and TV. Kind of got out of the entertainment industry and got into really trying to help companies figure out how to get their people to be at their best. And was having a great time with that. Had a number of really great years. And then 2009 showed up. And uh, the economy took a dive. And it was January. We thought we were going to have a really great year. But uh, by February, probably, I think, 80% of our clients had canceled their contracts for the year. So we thought, well, we can weather this for a while. But then March came, and uh, my mother's health deteriorated. She needed to go into assisted living. We needed to come up with an extra four or $500 a month. Next thing I know, my mother-in-law, we also need to come up with some additional funds for her. As things progressed, uh, you know, I finally gave up my health insurance because it was too costly. And, you know, we were doing everything we knew how to do. And then uh, I got kidney stones, had to go to the hospital, no insurance, four grand. And suddenly now, you know, we got a shortage of, of cash. We're running out of reserves and what money does come in you know, I'm, I'm hearing the, the words echoing in my head, it's all God's money. Are you going to give back the first 10%? And I'm thinking, I don't know whether I can afford to. <laughs> we, had to. We had to come to grips at the beginning of the year um, with the fact that things were going to be radically different. Um, you know, a good share of our business just went away. And... You know, at first it was like, how are we going to, how are we going to be able to stay where we are and maintain our same standard of living? How are we going to maintain the house? I started look, looking for clients and work in exotic locations. I started thinking about, you know, I nearly took a job that was going to have me traveling six days a week. Um, and, you know, I talked with, with Leela about it and we both looked at it and went, 
that's crazy. We won't have a life. I mean, if, if that's, is, is that what we're really willing to sacrifice so we can maintain some house and some status and whatever that means? And gradually through that process, we started to realize that the stuff that really matters, the stuff that truly makes us rich, was not that stuff. And so all of a sudden, here we are, we realize we're going to have to move out of this house and move into an apartment, a little two-bedroom apartment in the avenues. Um, and we're going to be worrying about whether we make rent there. All of this was, at the same time, it sounds foolish, but resisting cutting our overhead as much as we needed to. And, and finally, when it became clear, I think we got out of denial, <laughs> was we realized we need to start drastically cutting both our business overhead and our personal overhead. We cut both, each one of them, in half. And the interesting thing is, we don't ever intend to increase it. We're not missing anything that we cut out of our life. One of the reasons why we don't ever want to go back is if we get more abundance now, I want to be able to give more. Because I realize now what a gift that is. We probably could have figured out a way to beg, borrow, and steal our way into staying in the situation we were in. Um, we, we could have gone deeper in debt. Um, we could have, who knows, declared bankruptcy and kept the house out. Uh, you know, no, no judgment about people who do that, but there were a variety of things we could have done to try to maintain the lifestyle we had and the position <laughs> that we had. I don't know, it was like God called on our hearts to say, this is going to be a good thing for you. This is going to really teach you the beauty of simplicity. That by having less in your life, you're going to have more of me, and you're going to have more of each other. People ask, you know, wow, 2009, I know you guys had a rough go. Um, are you glad to be done with it? Well, yeah, on one hand, yeah. On the other hand, we wouldn't trade it. It was the richest year of our life. so cool to me to see how his perspective changed. You know, uh, in the video you heard him say a few things. He, he talked about, uh, you know, as the, as the finances dropped off, he said, this is a really key thing. Am I going to be able to give back the first 10%? He didn't say 10%. He said the first 10%, which is what God says, give me the first fruits. I was talking to Brad. He told me I could share this. Uh, we're talking this week, and he said, you know, my, you know my, I'm not tempted not to give. That's not a temptation for me. What is a temptation for me is to not give the first 10%. You see, and in this moment, what happens when we don't give the first 10%, it becomes an issue of convenience rather than trust, because again, it, it, this really isn't about money. It's about your heart. 
This is about what God is doing to develop the trust. Do I truly trust God? You know, they wanted to, Chris said here, we wanted to decrease our, our overhead so that if money starts coming back in, I'll be more free to give. See, his perspective changed to being content for a heavenly-minded purpose, an eternal purpose. He'd be more generous. I'm, I'm going to tell you that I believe 10% is a starting point. Again, Paul, who's writing, I quoted from, from, from uh, read from uh, Ch- Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read another passage. It happens just before he says, God will take care of your needs. He says this. It's really great. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Again, he's in jail. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know that it is what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every and any circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I do everything through him who gives me strength. You see, Paul didn't find his contentment in whether he was well-fed or hungry, or whether he had plenty or little. He found his contentment in the very last verse, knowing that I can do everything through him who gives me the strength. His earthly purpose was an eternal mindset. So you're going, okay, well, so great. Good, good, good talk, Mike. Why are we even talking about this? Is this uh, just another ploy by the church to get a few more bucks out of my wallet? Is this, you know, just trying to manipulate me into doing something, get control over me? Or, you know, is the good reverend worried about the paycheck at the end of the week? A little bit, but... um, (laughs) Not really. Honestly, you see... At the end of this passage, he says it, and I already told you this. He says it in verse 19 of chapter 6. He says, so that you may take hold of life that is truly life. See, so many of us spend time chasing stuff if we don't have enough money. If I just had, if I just got the promotion, if I just got a little more money, if I I just got a job, if I, you know, whatever. You figure it out. I just got one more guitar. Then I'd be content, and it's a lie. You won't. And I'm going to encourage you uh, with something here. We believe tithing and, and um, I'm going to give you a challenge from K2DU. For those of you, if you've never, we, Dave talked about this last week about tithing and about testing God with your finances and seeing what would happen. And <laughs> You see on TV the money back guarantee. We want to provide you with the K2 money back guarantee. And here, here's what I'm offering you guys. Seriously, if you're not tithing, if you're not tithing, you've not tested God. And let me just say this, guys. This is a heart issue. Again, this is not a financially driven issue. But if you truly want to test God with your heart in your finances, I challenge you to tithe for the next three months. And if at the end of those three months you feel God did not supply your needs, or you feel God hasn't, hasn't blessed you like he promised. I'm not talking financially. Maybe he'll give you finances, but he offers blessing. If you feel at the end of those three months that hasn't happened for you, 
Come get your money back. Come get it back. See, I've had this conversation with people, too, who talk about, well, you know, 10% is actually an Old Testament principle, and it is. You're right. The word tithe never, never, never occurs in the New Testament. Again, you're right. I think that we could make an argument, you know, from the, the passage where the widow's might, where Jesus is talking, and she gives all she has, is that she's tithing, giving her tithes and offerings like many. In, in, in the New Testament, that happens. So I think we could probably make a pretty strong argument that it actually is a New Testament principle. But I want to encourage you, if that's where you are, let me, let me say, good, let's use the New Testament principle then, because I... I'd love to see that for you too. Because, see, the New Testament principle is this. Like the woman, she gave all she had. And in Acts chapter 2, they sold everything they had. They sold their house. They gave everything for the common good of everyone. So if you want to use the New Testament principle of giving, and you don't believe in it, I would encourage you to do that. I might also encourage you to start with the 10% and see if that works better first. But again, I'm telling you, this is an issue of the heart and that 10% is even a starting point. Many people could probably give way more than 10%. And you, listen, you don't want to do it here? Go give it to another church. I'm not trying to jack you out of money. As we move into musical worship here, Mike's going to lead us through this time. We're also going to take communion. I was, was pretty interesting. The greatest example I think we can ever find is Jesus Christ, right? Who gave his whole life. He didn't give 10% of his life. He gave his entire life. Why? So that we could know life, true life. He offers that to us. And one of those things that can free us, the rich young ruler, what happens? Jesus is talking to this rich young ruler, and he says, I'm doing all this stuff. What, 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 what now? And he says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. See, because in this guy's heart, what was holding him back from true commitment to Jesus was that he was holding on to money. This whole thing is about changing your attitude and learning to trust God in the deep areas of your life. Again, as, as, as we move into musical worship and want to take this communion, which is a representation of Jesus Christ dying on the cross so that we could have life, they're going to come and they're going to pass. I just want you to take a moment and reflect. Ask yourself, am I content? And contentment begins with gratitude. And during any time during the worship, just feel free to take in that. And I'm just going to close with prayer and invite you to join with us in worship. Lord Jesus, you're a loving God who cares deeply for us and desires the best for us. Help us in our heads and our hearts to understand that your desire is not manipulation. It has nothing to do with money. It has to do with your desire for us to know and trust you deeply. Help us believe that you want the best for us and that your desire is for, for, for us to tr- just love you with all of our heart. Thank you for giving your life and giving us the ability to know life, the real life, the true life. Bless us here this morning, and I pray as we test you to prove yourself faithful. We ask this in your name. Amen.